Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. You're listening to the QuickBook Reviews podcast. Brighten your day with a book. Hello, my fellow bookworms. This is Philippa from QuickBook Reviews, author interviews and book reviews. How, how are you all doing? So my question of the day, it's a bit weird, I know, but what would you say if someone overtook you while you're running? Because this is happening to me on a very regular basis. To begin with, I was embarrassed about it. Well, probably I still am, but I'm trying to come up with comments that are funny to the people that are overtaking me. I don't know why, because most of them are very serious runners. You know, the sort, the ones that they don't even listen to anything. They're not listening to a story. They're not listening to an audiobook or, or a podcast. They're not listening to music. They're just there with their own thoughts. They're often wearing shorts, even if it's in winter. They have some sort of fluorescent tabard thing going on and they are just very serious about what they're doing whereas there's me flapping around having a well would I have a lovely time running no but I'm listening to something that I'm enjoying and I just try and come up with something so my current thing that I say when I'm overtaken is oh you've had your Weetabix today but that's wearing a bit thin I think I've used that too many times Uh, this morning I found myself saying to this professional (laughs) runner as they went past well done as if I was you know admiring and giving them feedback on their running skills so some of the very serious ones just don't talk they just they're very focused I don't know what's the world coming to anyway that's my question of the day what do you say when you're overtaken by runners the other question of the day is how many of the books that I'm going to tell you about will you want to get all of them I'm afraid is the answer to that so Coming up in today's episode, we have In the Blink of an Eye by Joe Callahan, The Man I Never Met by L. Cook, Daisy Darker by Alice Feeney, The Bleeding by Johanna Gustafson, and The Confession by Maureen Myant. And if you listened to last week's episode where I was talking to Karen from Arenda Books and Adrian and Rebecca from Hobet Books, they were talking about these two books and I promised I would reve- review them, reveal them, review them. And I have read them and I am ready to spill the beans on those. So more on that later. But let's get started on the interviews. We've got two author interviews today. And the first one I'm thrilled to talk to you about is Joe Callahan, who has written In the Blink of an Eye. Let me tell you about this book. Here is the blurb. Well, there's two different blurbs. I'm going to go for this blurb. Here we go. <laughs> Sorry. Me and my blurbs. One blurb, two blurbs. Which blurb to choose? Here we go. DCS Cat Frank knows all about loss. A widowed single mother, Cat is a cop who trusts her instincts. Picked to lead a pilot programme that has her paired with an AIDE, artificially intelligent detecting entity, Locke. Cat's instincts come up against Locke's logic when two missing persons cold cases suddenly become active. Let's do the first sentence earlier. He can't see. He tries opening his eyes, but something traps them tight against his skull. He gropes at his face with slow, clumsy fingers. A blindfold? Bandage? What the actual... He tugs at it first with one hand, then more desperately with two. But it's no use. It's too tight. This book, when I heard about this book, see, I love crime. You know I love crime. And to hear about a crime book where one of the 
the detective partners is AI. I was like, yeah, I am so sold on this. This has got me written all over it. And I really enjoyed it. It's a sort of, it, for me, it was like a crime thriller. And the the story as it went, it kept me gripped. I was wondering what was going to happen. I was trying to work out what, you know, who the baddie was. There's always a baddie. Who is the baddie? And there were the twists that I liked, the reveal. And I'm just, I'm just hoping this is going to be a series because I want more of this. In some ways, it wasn't. But it they reminded me a bit of the Poe and Tilly partnership with M.W. Craven, Mike Craven. And clearly, Tilly and Poe, there's no AI there. But if you've read Mike Craven's books and then you read Blink of an Eye, I think you'll see what I'm getting at. There was some... There, just something rang a bell for me there but I love this it's unique it's different and that's what I like so yeah I think we need to go and talk to Joe straight away it is my absolute pleasure to welcome to the podcast Joe Callahan. Joe, welcome hello I'm Sam's more excited than you this is my first ever podcast interview and absolutely and also you are my favorite podcast but don't tell anybody else <laughs> my goodness I'm so excited to talk to you about this book it's I always drone on about how I want to read books that are different in a good way and yours Mm. is absolutely that it's just what I needed a breath of fresh air so bravo how did you come up with the idea for this well I've been I mean I've been writing for over 12 years I began writing (laughs) uh it took me a long time um uh, middle grade initially I think when my children I started writing when I was 40 so I'm 53 now so my 40th birthday because my children were younger um and I think that's why I started writing middle grade because I was mostly reading books for them uh didn't get those published uh, then I moved into YA and uh, and got a bit better but um but then as the children grew older I found I was reading more crime and thrillers and people I was following on Twitter the people I really admired were working that genre and to be honest, then I saw people just having a really good time at Harrogate Crime Festival. And I just, <laughs> so I really like, oh, I should write, I want to go to Harrogate, I should write a crime thriller. And and other people friends said, oh, you should, yeah, do it, do it. And then I thought, actually, maybe I should, because actually that is what I read. And these are, the writers I admire are in that genre. So so I thought I'd write a crime book, but then I couldn't really think of anything different because there's so much out there, so many good books. I couldn't find it that really excited me enough to think I could add anything different. And then um, it, in my work, I was doing some research on the future impact of AI on the workforce just uh, over several months, sort of in the background. And then I was reading um, Dan Brown, Origin. Mm novel and at the end of that he's got an AI assistant um Robert Langford just in the last few chapters he gets an AI assistant that he places in his ear that helps him solve the last elements of the crime I just thought oh that'd be interesting wouldn't it how if if he had an AI detective so I had a quick uh uh, look online thinking and actually to my surprise they they are already being piloted in terms of AI machinery so computational models not actual yeah. holograms as I use in the book but uh, there are lots of um, pilots in, in in Britain Europe and America trying to use AI algorithms machines to actually help in the policing front and all the issues they raise and about how we make decisions about how you evidence versus instinct um, whether that data is biased and whether you're sort of plowing back in human prejudices back into to machines all the ethical issues I just got fascinated by the god this would be great not just to have a crime novel but one that starts to unpack and expose all these really ethical political issues about how we make decisions particularly about um, crime and justice and I, so, I, so I had this idea it was about sort of 2017 and I thought oh god someone's bound to have so obvious someone must have done it that didn't say anybody else and then then my husband became very ill with lung cancer and I had to put all the writing on hold so didn't write much at all in those years. Um, but then when he did die, sadly, in early 2019, January 2019, I think I said before, that that was the way I coped, really. I started to write that book within, within weeks of the funeral, just a way to sort of stop myself and go completely mad. It was just, I needed to fill the nights with something. So I thought, right, I'll write this this book. So I did that first draft in, in three months, primarily as a survival technique. But so that's that's how we got the idea. And that's why I did it. 
So it's a very long answer. No, it's it's a perfect answer. And as a reader, the the book just drew me in and sort of consumed me. So was it able to do that for you? I mean, obviously you can't ignore all the awful situation you're in, but did it really consume you when you were able to put pen to paper? Um, it did. So as I said, I'd written, I think, uh, probably four novels before. Um, and this was the easiest one to write. I think because I based um, the main character, uh, DCS Cat Frank, is a, is a, is a middle-aged widow detective. <laughs> um, and uh, I thought I, I just kind of based partly, I mean, she's not holding me, but I did think, you know, what would I be like if I joined the police wars at 20? Somebody with my sort of personality, what kind of... And, and I thought <laughs> I'll, I'll develop a more sophisticated character later, but for now I'll just make her sort of a bit like me because I'll just be easier. And I just did it. Um, and I already had the plot, so I don't, I, 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 I'm very plot-led. Um, so I kind of knew, I knew all the major key plot points. And yeah, I just, I just wrote it every night because I had nothing else to do other than grieve. So um, yeah, it did consume me, but I don't really remember, I don't remember an awful lot about writing. I just remember it, it, it sounds awful, but it, it was very easy to write that first draft. Although having said that, so although the plot didn't really change, some really trusted, beat, lovely beta writers and my agent, they all said it, it, it's great, but it's a bit miserable, you know, because I think I was processing my own. There were lots more scenes in there with, with, with probably about Kat and her grieving. So my agent very bravely and wisely said to me, this has got real potential, it's really good, but you've written this for you. And if you want to get it published, you need to, need, need to write it for crime readers. So that's when I did another draft. So not really changing the plot, but maybe having maybe less domestic scenes or, or placing them, pacing them sort of a bit differently, which was, you know, that's my agent, Sue, Sue Armstrong. And I, th I don't think many people would have had the courage or insight to say that to somebody. I think it's quite easy to say to particularly a recent widow, oh, that's great, it's very moving. So I really admire her for actually saying to me, you need to write this for crime readers now. But how easy was that? Because... It was so much a part of what you'd gone through. Could you come to terms with changing the book? Yeah, there, were, there weren't big changes. It was just um, having less miserable scenes and <laughs> trying to be less miserable. Um, and uh, upping the humour. I mean, the, there are some, so I've worked quite a lot of humour into mm. it as well, uh, which hopefully I find funny. So, so the interactions between Cat and Locke terms of you know it, its algorithms based approach compared to her good instinct sort of saying you know her trying to explain to Locke why it can't tell a mom that there's a you know 90% probability that her son is dead you know but that is not a great thing to do yeah. um so I just tried to sort of I guess increase uh some of the humor the pace and have those domestic scenes but space it so they come later rather than earlier earlier on so there weren't huge changes it was more about moving things around dialing some things up dialing some things down and being clear about who I was writing it for I think her key insight was that first draft I definitely I I, I absolutely did write it for me so I didn't write it to be published I just didn't care which might have been why it's the best book mm. I've ever written and it got published because I literally did write it for me it was I wasn't. I didn't even. I wasn't even sure I'd show, show it to my agent. It took me quite a while wow. to make that decision because it, it was literally just for me. And it's not um, a science fiction or dystopian. And as you said, the research shows it's already being used in some ways. I wrote it so so it's just in the near future. So I don't specify which year, but the idea is it's a few several years. It's sort of now, but just a few, the very near future. So maybe three, four, five years from now. So that's that's the sort of uh, conceit I'm trying trying to pull off. So it's not sci-fi. So it is very much now. All the aspects I talk about AI are either with us now or imminent on the horizon, with the exception of Locke's conversational, his live conversational abilities. They don't yet exist. But there's a lot of new research going into that. And I thought it really helped the the feelings in the book because yes, okay, the AI doesn't have feelings, and yet it. The example and the difference between the characters just it, it there was a lot of emotion I thought in that yeah that's what I tried to do Locke obviously is a machine which is programmed with algorithms but it's capable of deep learning so what I'm trying to show in this book and in future books is the journey that it goes on because 
initially it, it literally it, it is very very literal necessarily you ask it to do a task it would do it quite literally but as it interacts more with humans then it should in theory be able to learn more in terms of how to interact um how to mimic feelings now again arguably it as a machine it can never have feelings so cat is very sort of it is a machine it has no feelings but I'm trying to pose the question. I leave it ambiguous in terms of so that you you might be able to infer that is it developing feelings, and for that I do on research. If you think about um, Star Trek with Spock or the Terminator, one of my favourite films. So I try and sort of leave it sort of open to the reader. So if you want to believe they're developing feelings, you could do that. But 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 I'm hoping to develop that as a series develops to the extent to which a lot can or may do develop. Um, feet act what we would call feet. Yes, you've mentioned the word series, and that is something I very much wanted to talk to you about because, yes, I am hoping that this is part of a go- what's going to be a very long series. Can you confirm you got a twenty book deal with uh, with your publisher? <laughs> well, if you could mention that to my publisher, it'd be really helpful. Um, it was a two book deal, so I've I've, I've written book two or decent I haven't yet sent him back to send it to my editor and agent and I've got plans for a book three and book four so if I have a contract I, I'm hoping I will be able to, to write more but that all depends on your lovely listeners buying book one <laughs> well and and we need to talk about the timing of this because normally people come on the podcast when their book is already published but you and I are doing this the episode will go out about a month before the book is published and there are various reasons for that but also I think it's useful to get these pre-orders in for you because that can have such an impact upon the success of the book do the publishers talk to you about pre-orders at all Um, no not really they don't um I've only picked up from being on Twitter for many years how important pre-orders are this thing I never understood before as a reader um I would think, you know, I'd support a book and and um, maybe buy it the second, third week. I've only recently understood that pre-orders count as your first week sales and those first week sales are what count for chart position and all the other signifiers of success that then lead into whether it be the algorithms within the Amazon world or putting a sticker on or getting future book deals. It, it all, it's all this crazy world of publishing isn't it in terms of what success entails um and so pre-orders as a as a vote of confidence that then inspires other people's confidence seems to be really really important but it's a big ask from readers to buy to pre-order an unknown book from an unknown author you know these times i do i'm I'm amazed i mean people have been really kind and what they've said and bought already and i think crikey you know because it is a big ask isn't it yeah and there there are a lot of books being published all the time and yet there there aren't as many really good ones does it feel like it's a competitive space or are you just looking forward to publication day the honest answer is i i think god there's so many books that i can't keep up with them you know there are so many and that's why I said to a friend when I when I wrote the book, I meant it, I said that the world doesn't need to read my book. Yeah, there are enough books out there, but I needed to write it. And so when I sent it to my agent and I'd gone out in submission twice before with, with two YA books and got close to being published, but never. And the second one just devastated me. Going out in submission is a whole new level of, you know, emotional <laughs> anxiety. And when that second one didn't get um, taken by publisher, I just thought, God, oh, I'll never write again. That's it. I was just too damaged. And it was while my husband was really ill as well. So I put all the, and, and it was, that book was also about loss and stuff. So I just thought, that's it, I'm done. I can't mentally cope with this. Um, and then I thought, right, so I'm going to write, I'm going to write a blog post about how I'm giving up writing. And then, you know, I made this decision, I'm going to, as I walk out. And then I just thought, oh my God, listen to yourself. You're going to write a blog post about you giving up writing? You know, apart from get over yourself, <laughs> it's my response to give it right because to write about it. I'm not good. What I, what I decided to do was give up trying to get published. And that's, I think, what freed me to write um, this book. I just thought I write it because I needed to write it. I'll make it as good as I could. So I've kind of, it's not about competing with others, but I just think it's a very, very crowded market. And um, 
I'm trying not to get too sucked into all of that. I didn't write it to compete with others, but it is a really, really crowded market. And there are so many good books out there. I don't have enough time to read read them all. As I say, so people don't need to read my book. It'd be lovely if they did, but I completely understand if they've got, you know, huge to be... It, it is quite pressured, I think, for everybody. Um, uh, but it is a book that has got a great story, but in some ways it's easy to read because, you know, you you just make it easy on the reader it's not one that someone's got to steal themselves to get through i th- the concept is great the you know the ai sidekick is just super and you just you're just into the story so and also yes it might be a busy marketplace but it's not a busy area you've got your own little area of of crime thriller fiction here you've created a whole new area and everyone else needs to stay out so that's that's great yeah, there done. might be good reason why no one else has done this before i keep thinking it's so obvious like why isn't it done before you think oh maybe there's a reason why and it yeah these it has strengths and weaknesses doesn't it that um you do something different the risk is it falls between that you know that crime readers might think it's too sci-fi and sci-fi writers think it's too crimey or did it yeah so who knows? Who knows? But I do believe, you know, one writer I heard speak at a conference whose name escapes me said, you, you have to trust that the every story will find its way to the reader who needs it at that time. Mm. You know, so whether or not that, that's separate from the charts, but there are books mean something to everybody, don't they? Your stories. And all you can hope for is that your story will find its way to the person who, who needs to read that. And let's talk about the book title and the book cover. Have you been involved in that process? How has it all been? How has it worked for you? So from day one, I called it In the Blink of an Eye. And originally, it was because it focuses on two missing boys. I think because I wanted a crime. Obviously, I was obsessed with um, love and loss and grief at the time. And so I think that's why I was drawn to writing about missing people. Because I think that's a particular... uh, uh, probably one of the most awful losses the ambiguity of it living with that uncertainty is an almost imaginable pain and loss so and in the blink of eye at the time I wrote it was about uh, how someone can be there one day uh, one second and then gone in the next literally in the blink of an eye when people go missing so that that's what I was referencing when, when I wrote mm-hmm. it but then as I worked more on the AI aspect I did more research uh, one of the books I read was Blink by Malcolm Gladwell, and that was about how humans make decisions, how some people make things that there's a good instinct, that, you know, a millisecond, during which time they're processing, lot, processing lots of subconscious information, um, sort of how we make decisions, which became sort of a key theme of the book, uh, because obviously the way that Locke makes decisions is very different from how Cat makes it. She uses her mm. hunches, her, her good instinct. But also every human, we all make decisions differently. Some are much more evidential as opposed to instinct. So, so it plays off those two things. And and no one ever even suggested that we change it, which is good. And in terms of the cover, that was fantastic. It's uh, Richard Valestra from Simon Schuster. He designed it for the, for the proof. Um, and again, that was very uh, teamwork. We tried out lots of different um, covers to try and get it right for the proof for Harrogate. And originally uh, on the inside covers, we had a, a half shot of um, sort of cat's body with one eye showing and on the back inside cover half of lock with half of its eye showing and there were such powerful images i said to Richard, couldn't we stick them together and put that on the front and he just went ah yes and he went away and made this amazing cover that's been on the proof and then the illustrators i'm just really went with that and I, i'm just so pleased with, with, with the cover and the trailer that i sent you today as well i've just I just love it. And so did you get to go to Harrogate then with your proof and just have an amazing time? Yes, I did, which is my first ever crime festival. To say, because I'd wanted to, I saw these tweets, um, about how much fun people were having in, I think it was 2016. And, and I always wanted to go. And then my husband became very ill, so I couldn't. Um, and obviously then the pandemic and, and my youngest is very ill. So it'd been a very much housebound for for oh gosh more years I can't think about and so this summer I was finally able to go just for one day and one night because I've still got um caring responsibilities but it was very exciting just to go out <laughs> and and go to a crime festival and meet so many wonderful quite overwhelming actually I have to say as well because I took me yeah but it was it, everything people say about the crime community being the kindest and the friend and the most supportive it is all true it is amazing and I went to Capital Crime as well in September in London just just for the day and just 
yeah, just people are really supportive of each other. People have been so supportive to me. As you say, it's such, such a competitive space and there's lots of books out. But people are very welcoming and they generally want you to do well. They remember what it's like to be a debut author. Really, really quite moving. Oh, well, that's wonderful. I mean, yes, to have wanted to go to Harrogate, to be there and with the proof of your book and get the support. It's very that's... bizarre. It is, it is very weird. Uh, quite surreal. And, yeah. and, and, and then other friends saying, because you've... I find it very hard to sort of ask. So, so with my uh, editor, Catherine Armstrong, she first, I arrived there and she introduced me to another author. I think is Brian uh, McGilloway, lovely man. But she's going, you've got to read Joe's book. It's so great. I was like, oh, you don't have to. It's okay, sorry. <laughs> and he was really busy. You don't have to read my book. And she was saying, stop saying that to people. Everyone was me, she was saying, you, you don't have to read it. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry I've written a book. She, I know, don't, don't mind me. Uh, so Catherine and my uh, the press uh, person Jess, they're, they're, yeah, they're very gently beating that out of me. Well, you need to be shouting about this book because it's brilliant, and we are thoroughly supporting you and your journey. So Joe Callahan, who's the author of In the Blink of an Eye, thank you so very much. Oh, thank you, thank you. I love that. Gosh. <gasps> Coming up next, another author interview and more book reviews. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. What I'm going to do next is tell you about the other books. Then we're going to have Elle coming on to talk to us about her book, which is great. And also at the end, I'm going to talk about what the lovely Facebook group is reading at the moment, because there are lots of books being read that we need to talk about. So let's get started on the books. I'll leave the the description of the man I never met till the end because that will tie in very nicely hopefully <laughs> with the chat with Elle. So the next book I'm going to talk to you about is Daisy Darker by Alice Feeney. Let me read you the blurb on this. <laughs> Daisy Darker's family were as dark as dark can be. When one of them died all of them lied and pretended not to see. Daisy Darker is arriving at her grandmother's house for her 80th birthday. It is Halloween and sea glass, the crumbling Cornish house, perched upon its own tiny private island, is at one with the granite rocks it sits on. The Darker family haven't all been in the same place for over a decade, and when the tide comes in, they'll be cut off from the rest of the world for eight hours. When the tide goes back out, nothing will ever be the same again, because one of them is a killer. Let's do first sentence and then I have things to say about this. I really do. Chapter one. I was born with a broken heart. 
The day I arrived into this lonely little world was also the first time I died. Nobody spotted the heart condition back then. Things weren't as sophisticated in 1975 as they might be now. And my blue colouring was blamed on my traumatic birth. I'm going to leave it there, but this book... Now, you might think, oh, they're all on an island and they can't get off for so long and they need to wait for the tides to go down. Been there, done that, got the T-shirt. No, you haven't. This book is something else. And if you like books with a twist, you need to attach a neck brace onto yourself before you start reading this book. It was one of those where I was just like, what? And once you've read this book, please can you send me a message because I need to talk to you about this book and what happened. Goodness me, it took a change. Um, yeah, I'm sorry for that squeal. It's a noisy book there, isn't it? Um, I just thought it was it was a great read. If someone says to you, I'm looking for a, for a book, but I specifically want it to have the twist this is the one to show them and I know I'll keep going on about the twist so then you'll read it and say mm, what twist it, she was she overdid the talk the the twist talk and maybe I have but still let me know when you've read this because I need to talk to people about this book so that is Daisy Darker next we're going to go on to the bleeding by Johanna Gustafson and as I say this was mentioned Karen from Arenda Books mentioned this as one of the books at this time to be reading so let me read you the blurb of this. 1899, Belle Epoque, Paris. Lucienne's two daughters are believed dead when her mansion burns down to the ground, but she is certain that her girls are still alive and embarks on a journey into the depths of the spiritualist community to find them. 1949, post-war Quebec. Teenager Lina's father has died in the French resistance and as she struggles to fit in at school, her mother introduces her to an elderly woman at the asylum where she works, changing Lina's life in the darkest way imaginable. 2002 Quebec. A former schoolteacher is accused of brutally stabbing her husband, a famous university professor, to death. Detective Maxine Grant, who has recently lost her own husband and is parenting a teenager and a new baby single-handedly, takes on the investigation. Under enormous personal pressure, Maxine makes a series of macabre discoveries that link directly to historical cases involving black magic and murder, secret societies and spiritism. Spiritism? Spiritualism? Either. And women at breaking point who will stop at nothing to protect the ones they love. Let's do first sentence before I tell you what I think. Chapter one, Maxine, 2002. My car skips off the paved road and sways like a boat set afloat. I'm navigating the potholes one stomp on the accelerator at a time. Bloody hell, the tyres are screeching, biting into the gravel and its coating of frost, spitting crud onto the verge, then crunching back on track. What did I think of this book? I thought this book was a wow. I thought it was unsettling, powerful. You have to pay attention to it, but it's beautifully written. I mean, it could have been written by Margaret Atwood, I felt. It's that sort of style of writing. Yes, there are these three different time frames. Did that put me off? Did that confuse me? No, it didn't. It offered me something different. And I know I keep going about how I like different books, but this delivered it. Uh, yeah. Bravo, Johanna, bravo, Arenda Books. The Bleeding is a superb, different, compelling story. Uh, yeah, thought it was thought it was very good indeed. So the next book is The Confession by Maureen Myant. And this is the one that Hobeck Books were saying was one of theirs to read and look out for. Let's look at the blurb, shall we? A house on a quiet street on the south side of Glasgow. Neat terraced homes, not the sort of place that reeks of decay or where dead blue bottles pile up on a windowsill. When the police break in, there's a surprise in store for them. They find Julie Campbell's decaying body at her desk, her laptop open beside her. She's a well-liked, respectable woman. On the laptop is a confession to five murders. There's one major problem, though. Only one of the victims she names is actually dead. D.I. Mark Nicholson is persuaded by his boss... DCI Alex Scrimger that the confession is a fantasy and to drop the case. But Mark senses there's more to it than meets the eye. As he delves further, the darkest of secrets are revealed and everyone around him is dragged into a vortex of fear, 
danger and murder. No one is beyond suspicion as the confession becomes a murderous reality. Now, let's go for first sentence, shall we? Sorry, there's a few pages. The reason why I'm sounding like this, I did, once I'd spoken to Arenda Books and Hobet Books, I ordered this one and it was on pre-order, so I was hoping to get it in plenty of time to read and review it today. But sadly, I was advised by the website that shall not be named that my order was delayed, so I've had to go on the on the old Kindle. Nothing wrong with that at all, but that's why it's just taken me a few minutes to navigate to find the first sentence again. But here we go. Are you sitting comfortably? Prologue, June 29th, 2019. One blue bottle can lay 600 eggs in a day. DS Mark Nicholson donned the protective bodysuit before following the police constable into the house. He blinked as his eyes adjusted to the darkness. He was breathing through his mouth, but it didn't help. The stench was overwhelming. So what's the story, he asked. Well, this is a book that, first of all, I thought, oh, it's this sort of book, fine, I know. And then it changes like, oh, it's this sort of book. And then, oh my goodness, it's a story that evolves as you're reading. I thought it was really well written. It's just a great story. It's something, again, different. That's the theme of the week. I'd like to say I chose these books for the theme, but I didn't. I'm afraid it's just pure chance. But it's something, again, different. And that's what I think is so good. I enjoyed reading it on the Kindle. Shock, what's going on with me? Um, I thought it was really well plotted and written and presented and yeah it, it's a really astonishing book excellent bravo bravo to Maureen bravo to Hobeck and shame on me for not reading this uh, that book before I need to be on the case more and support independent publishers more as I've said I'm repeating myself let me move on the final book the man I never met by L Cook Listen, two lives are about to be changed by one phone call. When Davy misdials Hannah's number, at first they think nothing of it. After all, Davy lives in Texas and Hannah lives in London. But when Davy gets a job in London, their paths are sure to cross. As messaging turns into video calling, this feels like the start of something. Weeks later, Hannah is waiting for Davy at the airport, but he never walks into arrivals. When Hannah finds out why... Her world is turned on its head, and with their future so uncertain, each must pick up the pieces of their lives. Right, let's go to chapter one. Hannah, December. Do you remember where you were and what you were doing the moment your life changed forever? I do. I was standing outside the gym, hair in a bit of a tangle, in need of a shower after a gruelling spin class, rifling in my bag for my gloves while my mobile buzzed away. But of course... I didn't know it at the time. That's always how it is, though, isn't it? You never realise the true significance of a moment until later. I really enjoyed this book. Again, it was different. It's a much lighter story than some of the others that I've talked about today. I thought it had the surprises, the twists, and characters that I believed in, which I liked. I just, I just love this concept of... Well, I won't... I'll talk to Elle about it and we can go into more detail for you. But I just thought it was a, a really different approach to a story and I really enjoyed it. So let's go and talk to Elle now. It is my absolute pleasure to welcome Elle Cook, whose book is The Man I Never Met. Elle, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Well, I just have to jump in with my first question for you. When you had the idea for this book, were you excited just to get sat down and start writing this? Uh, yes. Oh my gosh, massively. I was. Um, I had the idea in the first lockdown and it wouldn't leave me alone. And I had previously written historical novels, so didn't want to jump out of that arena at all, really, um, for fear that it would, wouldn't work. So actually, I never even told my agent I was writing it or asked any approval from her at all. I just sat down and did it because I didn't want to say, oh, I had this idea and oh, I don't know if it's going to work. And blah, blah, blah. so I just sat down and I just got on with it over, um, I wrote it over about a year throughout those first crazy lockdowns that we kept having on and off um, when I had time in between my other work. And at the end of it, I, you know, brushed up on it thought about it wasn't quite sure what to do with it and then sort of sent it to her and said um I've got something to show you <laughs> oh. 
<laughs> which was the entire novel. <laughs> Poor woman. <laughs> oh, but obviously the response was good. Otherwise, we wouldn't be sitting here talking about it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All the stars and the planets were in alignment. Essentially, it's about two people who are meant to be together but don't seem to quite be able to make it happen for a great portion of the book. <laughs> it's essentially that. And I, I loved it that, you know, someone just missed styles mm. and there's this connection. It's almost, you know, you hear about this Love is Blind TV show where people get to know each other without seeing each other. And it's just how you can connect to someone and you just know there's something special about this person again how did you get that idea uh, that is just one of those funny things that just popped into my head and I wanted something that wasn't massively unrealistic and that was very believable but that could very easily happen not that many people use the phone as a phone anymore it's messaging or you're checking your email or your social media and um and uh, but weirdly enough, um, another author friend who had read the book and been kind enough to blurb it sent me a message saying the weirdest thing just happened to me. Like, you know, a few weeks ago. See, this does happen. Said I just got a missed call from this guy in Spain, completely misdialed me by mistake. And uh, we had a little chat and I said goodbye. So then I thought of you immediately. And I was like, see, it does happen. And then my follow up question was, and was he hot? And she said, yes, I've looked at his WhatsApp and he was hot. Like, yeah, this, this does happen in real life. <laughs> Was she already practicing her the signature with surname? Though? She's happily married, so she let that one slide. Oh, okay, fair enough. That that's not going to go any further there. But no, that I I just love that. And you're right. We normally have phones numbers preset now in our phones, so to get a random call, yes, is more special. And that certainly came through in the book. I mean, we we meet Hannah and Davy straight away in the story. How did those characters first appear to you? Um, how did they first appear to me? I guess, weirdly, I'd been thinking about Hannah, I think, more than I'd been thinking about Davy. And I'd been thinking about the kind of book I'd want to write if I was going to start writing contemporary. I was thinking about the kind of books that really speak to me. I read quite widely, not massively widely, but quite widely. I read a lot of historical fiction because that's my other job. I read a bit of crime thriller. I've sort of moved into that. That's been my sort of post-lockdown joy. I've discovered crime thriller, which I never sort of was into before. And I've um, really got so much more into contemporary fiction and women's fiction. And there are things I've worked out that I love about that genre. And I think it's when you find a really likeable, funny main character who is quite realistic, is not weighed down with a whole bunch of prior baggage. I think I'm obviously very specific in what I like. So I just read a Fire Money Coots novel and it's funny and the heroine is all of those things and more. And I think I've realised that's, kind of, that's the kind of main character I love and that's the kind of main character I try to write. So Hannah sort of appeared in my head as just this really kind of hopefully fun, not too cool, a bit of an in-betweener maybe, like a nice person just fun and friendly, not like not, not buckets of friends. So you'd feel jealous of her from afar, but you know, a nice amount. So I just tried to make her a really normal person. So she appeared in my head, I think, and I think April 2020. Um, mm -hmm. And then she was shortly followed by Davy and his story. And the two of them were in my head for a few months before I could do anything about them, really. But they, they sat there waiting. Oh, that's wonderful. Yes, nice and normal. There's nothing wrong with that because they are more relatable. You can, you know, understand what they're going through. And um, yeah, we, we care about them more probably as, as well. I, yeah. I'm interested in the twist because you say you started reading more crime and thrillers. And obviously that isn't what this book is at all. And yet mm. there are twists in it. And I'm just interested when you said that's something that you've been getting more into as a genre for reading. And it's almost like I could see how that has affected your writing. It was great, the, the sort of the surprises as you go along. Yeah, I do love a little twist every now and again. Um, my daughter's only 11, but she's been learning about writing at school. And she said to me, we were talking about writing books, and she said to me, oh, we all know what a good book is. It's a beginning, a middle and a twist. And I thought, oh, and you're 11. So, I mean, I'm not a big subscriber that every book must have a twist at all. Um, 
But if there is one coming, it's nice to sort of not guess what it is. And it's nice to be surprised in novels rather than to always think, oh, well, I know exactly where this is going. Sometimes that's nice. But sometimes it is nice to turn the page and go, oh, I did not guess that was going to happen as well. So it's, it's a good mashup. It's a good mix, you know, to, to have them all in your life. And how do you manage to get the sort of love levels right? How do you balance it when you've still got those twists? Is that... Um a challenge for you yeah well I kind of knew that I wanted to keep them they're, they're meant they're right for each other this couple are in my head they're right for each other and I hope that comes across but I wanted to keep keep the reader invested in them even though they're afar for part of the book because they are hopefully both very likable but hopefully you know they're both right for each other and you know that what they go through you know in the 18 months of the novel you know that they are supposed to be you know together in the end and so hopefully the love levels while they're not always on page together is enough that you think oh my god just one of you do something (laughs) yeah so we get really quite involved in urging them along to yeah exactly hopefully <laughs> yes quite um did you always know how it would turn out I did <laughs> I, um I didn't know how we were going to get there but I kind of in my head I kind of have the beginning of the book and I have the end of the book and that's the only bit I really plot I think I'm a bit of a mashup of a plotter and a pantser and I think I know where I'm going and I, I you know I know how it's going to start I know how it's going to end but how we get there is a is a winding pathway. And it's fun that way for me. I can explore different things as we go. And hopefully it's fun for the reader as well, because it's not... I tried to plot with my first book in my historical fiction. I, I think I plotted to within an inch of its life. And, you, you know, you have to redraft and redraft. You think, I'm trying to force these characters into doing something that I really want them to do. But actually, when they're on page and dialogue is flowing and, you think, oh, that's not the right... That's not the right, right direction for them. So it is nice to be able to sort of give them free reign and let them do what they kind of wants to so when you were writing your historical books this is your first book that isn't the historical fiction I I believe I I was going to say was the process different and you said it it was because the plotting was so much more I think the process is different for every single book I write I never seem to write anything the same way um I'm not sure that's a good thing or a bad thing maybe I'm learning as I go but every time I think oh plot I write down these notes and then maybe I'll lose those notes and I'll think I'll have to start again anyway um so I I like that it goes it's a different direction every time it keeps things interesting (laughs) yeah absolutely I mean what made you want to to make that change in genre was it just it was about the story rather than I think it was it was about so when I write my historicals I've often um, written dual narrative so there is always a contemporary strand and then there's something in the past and the past informs the present but the present characters will always have something similar going on you know that there's a romance in both in both sections and so I've written contemporary as part of my historicals and so it didn't feel too different to do that but I was very aware that wasn't the genre in which I sat for the last four or so years. So it did feel like a bit of a risk. Um, but I, I did, I, yeah, I did want to sort of break free a little bit while both doing both at the same time. And I thought I just had the story. It wasn't, I will do a contemporary and I must find a story. It was very much that this sat in my head during that first lockdown. I thought I've just got to do something with this now because it's just in there and it won't go away. You know, I've had ideas over the years that have sat in my head and then they've gently drifted out and I thought, well, they're not the right ones for me, but this one just would not leave me alone, really. Now we're sitting here, it's sort of uh, a week and a bit until publication day and when this episode goes out, it'll be a couple of days after publication day. So I'm I'm just interested, how does it feel now with the anticipation? Does it feel different? Are you more, because it's... a well, it's not a risk because it's a great book, but do you know what I mean? It's something different for you. Does it feel different at this stage? Um, I'm trying not to let it feel <laughs> Until different. Until I mentioned it. it. <laughs> yeah, I'm try- no, I have been thinking about it, but I am thinking about it a lot more. I'm getting a lot lot of emails from agents, editors and things. And, and it's lovely because it's I've got a US deal as well. So I'm sort of getting it from transatlantic points of view as well and retailers that it's going into and things like that so I'm just thinking oh no it's fine it's just another it's just another just another book it's just fine um and just trying to plod along <laughs> without thinking too much about it is the process quite different when you've got a when it's being published in the US as well Are the edits different the book cover yeah 
There are. I've never had. I've had US deals as part of um, my historicals, but it's always been sort of to get bundled together in a sort of English language deal. So this is different because this is a, a US deal which has been, you know, purchased separately. And so it's lovely to see how the Americans do things differently and the language they want you to use and um, and just kind of how they approach things slightly differently. So I've had edits for US and edits for UK, but both editors have worked alongside each other. So it's kind of all been reflected in both manuscripts the same. It's, it's quite lovely. It's an interesting process. Um, full on, but interesting nonetheless. Yes, it's not just oh, they want to publish it in the US, as you say, and oh, that's lovely. I'll sit back and, and let it happen. It's, yeah. Yeah. quite full on yeah, so when you're writing do you have to write in a particular place and have the same sort of drink to hand is there a process with that no I've learned not to be too precious because I find myself floating all over the house depending on like whether a tap is broken and a plumber needs to come in and stuff you know so I can't sit quietly so at the minute I'm in my dining room because I'm at home on my own my husband's been working away for a couple of months so I find my office is at the top of the house because we're in a townhouse so I find myself having to run up and down the stairs to like sort of open door to couriers or open door to postmen. And I don't get anything done. It's good for my exercise levels. So I've just relocated to the dining room now because it's easier for my lazy self to be able to get up and move around a bit more. I make coffee. I've got good access to the coffee machine down here, which is not to be overlooked. Um, but no, I just kind of, I just start my day and I get going really. Um, and I usually am in my office or not at the minute, but yeah, I just sit down and just go for it. So yeah, no, no real routine, open laptop, hope for the best. (laughs) But you used to work in PR, didn't you? So I imagine you're used to, if words need to be produced, sitting down and getting on with getting on with it rather than waiting for the muse to strike you and yeah I've learned not to let wait for the muse to strike because nothing would ever happen if I do that I will always find something (laughs) to do to pretend I'm getting the muse to work which is basically going on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram so I've had to just learn not to do that um no it is just a case of sit down and get on with it really um PR was more about writing the odd press release and chasing journalists and taking people out for lunches which was very lovely but not massively creative so it is nice to sit I do need a lot of quiet that's the one thing I do need I can't be one of these people who works in coffee shops which is so sad I'm really annoyed about that because I just listen to other people and then you know or like get up and order another coffee or worry if I've been at a table for too long and are they going to get annoyed at me because I've been nursing this latte for an hour and a half so I'm a bit I get a bit nervous about that so I'm like no I'll just sit at home and it's all nice and quiet and as long as the doorbell doesn't ring I can usually just immerse myself in it I can't even listen to music which is the tragic thing or have podcasts on in the background or anything so just pure quiet which is a bit sad and can you eat when you're writing or are you an author who cannot have any food I don't know no not really I guess I just come downstairs and I depending on what how deep into my edits I am I will probably eat fairly unhealthily and I'll probably just stand up over the cooker shove a sandwich in my face and run back upstairs again it's not the healthiest way to live (laughs) so you're not actually eating while you're writing you do keep no that is the break that's the only break I probably have is you know grab a coffee stand eat sandwich run away again so no I can't do that it's probably a good thing otherwise I'd probably just sit and pick all day at something (laughs) so how long does it take to know when an idea can be a book it's a case of whether it leaves you alone or not for me it was very much a case of whether um whether I can shift an idea out of my head whether I can actually see the ending if I can see the ending and I can generally see how we're going to get there although I'm prepared for that to change if I can see a beginning and an end but I can't work out what on earth would go in the middle that's probably not that's a bit of a non-starter probably and I've had a few of those in my head that oh this would be lovely you know but if I can't see that it would grip me then it wouldn't grip a reader so I kind of have to bin it um but it's not really a case of time it's definitely a case of whether an idea sits sits around and pushes at you in your brain for a while I think oh that's a really good point yes I'm great at having ideas but then I forget them or yes I lose interest in them but yes that's it if a if an idea is there knocking on your mind there's a reason for yeah it. if you've lost interest in it then it's probably a good <laughs> good idea to get rid of it 
forgetting the idea. That's terrible. I've got a memory like a sieve these days. So I think I, I had a great idea. In my head, I'm sure it was a great idea. It felt like a great idea in the middle of the night. And I thought, this is so good. I will remember this. And it, it, it's gone. It'll never come back again. So write them down. That's what I say. Have a little notepad or just get your notes out on your phone and write them down. Because often when I'm sort of not sleeping, but drifting off, you know, or waking up slowly in the morning, these are when my ideas sort of come to me. When I've got that thinking time, um, you need thinking time as a writer. And, you know, you don't really always get that very often. You've got kids or you've got a day job or you've got running around to do. So actual pure, oh, what about this idea time doesn't really hit you. It's usually when I'm laying down. So that's when I'm like, oh, gosh, get the notes out, start typing something. But that's true. The ideas that I've had that I've then forgotten what they were, I always think those were the best ideas, you know, blockbuster book in the making. Yeah. And yet, actually, yeah. if I'd written it down, I'd have probably looked at it and thought, well, <laughs> that's it don't mourn their losses write them off move on (laughs) yes exactly so can we just talk about how you got an agent first of all of course um the story with that um i joined the romantic novelist association new writers scheme um back in 2017 I think it was and um as part of that you sort of pay a, a really small fee and they assign you um an editor basically from their pool of, of writers and you submit your manuscript and they read uh, do they do all of it yeah they do they read all of it and uh they give you a great report back to tell you you know what kind of things you should change or what you've done well or you know just hints and tips and on the back of that, I got recommended a few agents that work quite closely with the RNA. And I ended up at one of their conferences. Um, I think it was a 2018 conference and um, managed to pitch to some agents there. And while I didn't end up with any of them, that was my sort of starting ground for understanding how the process works. And then I approached my agent um, now, who is Becky Ritchie at AM Heath, and I loved some of the authors that she worked with and that's how I I discovered her because I read Iona Gray and Jenny Ashcroft's novels and loved them and everybody you know thanks their agent in the back of their book and so I went there and had a look and you know both these both these authors were thanking Becky Ritchie and I was like I will give her an email (laughs) and that's kind of how it happened I just sat in her slush pile and waited to be picked up. Oh but that's wonderful and that's a really good tip for someone that's thinking of sending their book to an agent which agent look for the authors that you love and look for who their yeah, agents are that's the, that's the way I did it I was just very lucky I think right place right time well no I just, it's down to hard work as well and that that pays off especially that time when you know you've got an agent it's just uh, just wonderful so if you could go back in time to when you were there writing that first book what would you whisper to yourself? What would you tell yourself? Maybe not when I was writing it, but I would say after I wrote it, I was under the impression that once I had an agent, that was it. I'd done, sorted, didn't have to worry ever again. <laughs> and I think maybe that's a good thing to have. Maybe that's a good blind idea to have and to stick with that um, that inanely. Uh, I think it's... Uh, Okay, so just hold on. I just tell myself to hold on because you don't know what's coming. (laughs) Ups and downs, peaks and troughs. You just, you know, take it all with a pinch of salt and don't be don't be scared to ask for help. Definitely, because we don't know when you're a debut, you don't know what's coming. You um, you might have certain ideas of things and not know, which is why I quite like those groups on Facebook, you know, the author groups, because I think the industry is very, they know what they're doing. And I think often agents, editors maybe think we know more than we know. And we're we're like, no, can you, we're sort of that child tugging at the teacher's skirt. Like, can can I just ask you a question? (laughs) Which I think my poor agent was full of her inbox. Can I just ask you another question? Um, Maybe someone needs to write a manual for us. (laughs) But yeah, hold on and, and take it all with a pinch of salt, I would say. Oh, no, that's wonderful. Well, great book can't wait to read what you write next l cook 
who's written The Man I Never Met. Thank you so much for joining me. Oh, thank you so much for having me. So those are your five books. Just to do a recap, we've had In the Blink of an Eye by Joe Callahan, Daisy Darker by Alice Feeney, The Bleeding by Johanna Gustafson, The Confession by Maureen Myant, and of course, The Man I Never Met by L. Cook. So those are the books. But before you leave me, I need to talk about what the lovely Facebook group has been reading or I should say from next week on there should just be one interview per episode because I think it's getting a bit long occasionally there'll be two but that's what I'm aiming for I hope that's okay let me know if it's not always happy to change it it's just lovely hearing your views on things it just helps me so much so do let me know so let's talk about what the wonderful Facebook group are reading. Amy is reading Eeny Meeny by A.J. Aldridge and also listening to Reputation by Sarah Vaughan on Audible. Fantastic, great books, Amy. Love those. Um, Nick is reading Sealed with a Kiss by Rachel Lucas. Fiona's reading 1989 by Val McDermott. Of course, Val's come on uh, the podcast. Kate is reading The Book of Two Ways by Jodie Pickle. I love Jodie's book so much. Kate is reading The Bingo Hall Detectives, yes, by Jonathan Whitelaw. We love that one. Rob has got hold of a copy of Madly Deeply by Alan Rickman, although he says it was quite hard, surprisingly hard to find. So, Rob, hope you're enjoying that one. Trace is reading Reminders of Him by Colleen Hoover. Colleen obviously is all over TikTok, Tracy, you need to tell us what you think about that book. Do I need to be including these books on this podcast? Maybe I should. Maybe I've failed you so far. I need to know, Tracy. Uh, Julie is reading I Am Pilgrim by Terry Hayes. Oh, my goodness, I love that book so much. I keep waiting for the next one. And there are some significant delays in it being published. But, yeah, I Am Pilgrim, great. If you like thrillers... Oh, great book. Rebecca's reading Where the Crawdads Sing and she says, I know I'm late to the party, but it doesn't matter. You read the book when you're ready. Hope you're enjoying that one. Natalie's reading Wrong Place, Wrong Time by Gillian McAllister. Leslie is reading... Oh, she's got two on the go. <laughs> I love this. She's got an upstairs book, which is 1979 by Val McDermott. And then her downstairs book is Other Parents by Sarah Stovall and she's enjoying them both. Amanda's reading The Seven Deaths of Evelyn Hardcast great book janet's halfway through milkman by anna burns and says it's fantastic writing well done janet i haven't read that i think you need to be in the right sort of frame of mind to read that so well done janet bravo sally's reading Anne veronica by hg wells she's read it three times and only just noticed who the author was so that's great must be a good one then elizabeth's about to start the retreat by sarah pierce hope you enjoy that elizabeth uh, glynis has got two books on the go she's reading odd boy out by giles brandreth and the crossing by michael Connolly. yeah we had michael on recently lauren is says she's usually a massive reader of thrillers and crimes but she's currently reading lessons in chemistry by bonnie garmus and enjoying it yeah i love that book so much currently trying badly to put my top 10 for the year together and uh, it may or may not feature on that ellen's reading after dark and the butterfly room great ellen that's super and murid's reading blackbird house short stories by alice hoffman and to be a man by nicole krauss she's saying they're both wonderful compilations but in very different styles oh yes and she says when she's lost her reading mojo she goes back to quality short stories to get her reading mojo back that's a really good point it would be worth us doing an episode on what to do when your reading mojo is gone but currently i don't have time to lose my reading mojo i've got to keep reading because we've got some books next week Dare I say it? Dare I mention the C word to you? Yes, I'm going to. So next week, it's the Christmas books episode. I will be teaming up with Lauren from Lauren from the books again from YouTube. And we will be going through our current favourites, our top five Christmas reads for this year. Lauren's very kindly joined me for two years before this is our third year and it's always a lot of fun and I know you've been asking that that episode be earlier on in December because I often put it on just before Christmas so it's there it's the first week's episode in December for you so sorry to keep going on about the word Christmas there will be quite a few Christmas books over the next few weeks but there will be others there's just some great books to talk to you about can't wait can't wait anyway I've talked I blathered you've listened i appreciate it but i need to send you on your way now so just look after yourselves 
and I'll talk to you very soon. Take care now. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Quick Book Reviews podcast. That's enough books, said no one, ever. See you again soon. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.